Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. Welcome everybody and if it's your your first time here I also want to say thank you so much for joining us this morning and we hope you just sit back and relax and enjoy the presence of God here and the love of these people and uh, it's this is the third Sunday of Advent and this Advent season we have been in a series we've been talking about Jesus Christ uh, who crossed the universe to invade our world and become the light of this world. And uh, we've been using this metaphor, light. It's a pretty useful metaphor. It's also a, a, a biblical metaphor to talk about Jesus. This morning, I want to dive into a, a particular passage of Scripture in Isaiah. And, and really, we're going to kind of dive in and swim around it a little while. Uh, it's, um, it's in I, Isaiah chapter 60. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there uh, and follow along with us. We're going to keep coming back to it throughout the morning. But Isaiah chapter 60, in the first three verses there, there's a a very powerful prophetic word that it, it really has multiple layers of meaning uh, and, and application. It's, it's kind of one of these, you know, you ever eat something, it's like this delicious bite that's just like really complex and, and it keeps changing flavors, you know, the more you chew it. Uh, so this scripture here, this is, this is kind of the, the Willy Wonka three-course meal chewing gum of, of prophetic passages. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, Willy Wonka, okay. <laughs> Yeah, you know the, the yeah, you know it started out. It's like a three course meal when she ate it. Violet was it Violet Beauregard? Yeah, and I remember as a kid that that whole scene. It sounded great, but they immediately turned me off because I think it starts with tomato soup. Like what kid wants to start his chewing gum with tomato soup, right? Especially a kid from Texas. You start your meal with chips and queso. That's the first flavor of the, the chewing gum, chicks and queso. And then you move on to, I think it was like a you know, Thanksgiving turkey dinner or something like that, and it ended with blueberry pie. And it was wonderful. It didn't turn out well for Violet, I think. But, but anyways, a great idea. Anyway, I'm way off base here. Let's look at this scripture here, Isaiah 60. Uh, it starts in verse 1, and it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. It's a beautiful passage here. Now, this is an Old Testament prophetic word. It's given to the people of Israel, but uh, as I said, there's multiple layers here. It, has, it really has three applications that we can look at, three ways that this prophecy is, is actually fulfilled. And they're all uh, interrelated, interconnected, and they build on one another over time. Now, first of all, this prophecy speaks about a cloud that's uh, over all of humanity, a thick darkness. And that darkness is our bondage uh, to, to principalities and powers. It's the thing that really traps us. The main, you know, we talked about this in our last series when we talked about the dark side of spirituality. The thing that traps us, the main weapon of the enemy is what? His Somebody was here last, last month, I know it. Lies, I heard it there. Right, his lies, deception, that's the main weapon of the enemy, his lies. And so the, what, what it's talking about, this thick darkness over the earth, it's, it's the lies that we believe. Lies about God, lies about ourselves, lies about other people. Um, I believe every sin that a human being commits is predicated on a lie. That's, base, that's basically the, the base of all of our sin, and, and that's this cloud of darkness that's over the earth. And God, being a God of love, he comes and he doesn't, he doesn't abandon us to our bondage. 
He, his passion is to bring light to us, to free us from the darkness. And so he puts a plan in place to deliver the world from the darkness, save humanity. And it starts with one human being, a guy named Abraham. And we read about him in Genesis 12, and, a, and he calls Abraham to be his uh, covenant partner. And he makes a very important promise. And in verse 2, he says to Abraham, I'm calling you to be a, this faithful covenant covenant partner, and, and if you remain faithful to me, you and your descendants are going to be blessed, and you will be a, this, a blessing to all of the world. So you're not only going to be blessed, but you're going to be a blessing, and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed by you and you and your descendants. That's this promise that God gives Abraham. Now, notice how God works. This is just like God. He, he starts with something small, and it grows big. This is the, the mustard seed principle that Jesus talked about. Uh, you know, the, the, the kingdom is, is like a mustard seed. God comes and he accommodates our weakness and he slowly brings us along, right? The kingdom of heaven doesn't just drop from heaven and crush us like something out of the Avengers or something, right? It starts small. It's the seed. And, and the goal for it is for it to, to grow and gradually, this seed gradually grows and encompasses the whole garden, or in this case, the earth. That's the way it works. And so Abraham is the mustard seed individual that God chooses. And his descendants were the Israelites, right? This is just kind of a history lesson 101 of the, of the Bible here. And this is kind of the story of the Old Testament here. And the Israelites then become God's nation. Abraham is God's man. And so his descendants, Israelite, Israel becomes God's nation. He starts small and he grows bigger. But his intention is always to encompass the whole earth. And God, so, so, so then God makes this promise to Israel, like Abraham, that if they will walk in covenant with God, they will experience blessings, blessings they'll, that they'll receive, they'll experience them, but they will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. With this chosen nation status, Israel has chosen nation status. It, it comes with promises. It comes with promise of provision and blessing and special privileges, but it also comes with something we could call a vocation. And a vocation is, it's a, it's a special word. It's, it's like a job, but it's more than just a job. A vocation is, is a calling, right? I love in my life when I come across people, I can tell they have discovered their vocation. They don't just have a job that they get up to and go every morning, but they get up excited about something they know they are on this earth to do, and they're excited about it. It's their vocation, right? And it doesn't have to just be like in like full-time ministry or something like that. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. You can have a, your vocation maybe, uh, you know, maybe to be a, a, a doctor or a teacher or a lawyer or a mechanic or whatever it is, right? Uh, an artist. Uh, but your vocation is something that it becomes bigger than just, just you. And it blesses you, but you also use it to bless other people. And it, your vocation becomes a, a kind of ministry to other people, a calling. And so for Israel, this entire nation, they have this calling. And the vo their vocation is this, to put on display the character of God to put on display the character of God as far as they themselves can conceive of it, which is sort of limited for them, but to display to the world the truth of who God is, the truth of what he desires. That's why he calls them a light to the nations that are in darkness. He calls them, displaying the beauty of who God is. And the plan is, see that, then the nations will be attracted to this. 
that, that the blessing that Israel is, the nations will be attracted. And the goal is for all the nations of the earth to, to enter into that same covenant with God that Israel had. And therefore experience the same blessings that Israel had. That was the goal. Now, the Israelites, as we read Old Testament, they love the privileges. They love the blessings. They weren't so hot on the vocational aspect of the covenant. This is where they didn't do so well. They end up doing a terrible job at putting on display God's character to other nations. In fact, we read, and the Israelites began to see themselves as sort of this special privileged holy club, you know, instead of reflecting God's light to pagan people so they could be free of the darkness that they're in. The Israelites see themselves as a people who, who are superior to those who are in darkness. And they begin to look down on and judge the very people they're supposed to be attracting and serving. You know, at one point, God even rescues the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt. And within three generations, they become a nation of slave owners. His, his rescued people, they become slave owners. They become oppressors of people. And, and uh, to boot, they, they're constantly being disobedient to God. And so we come to this prophecy in Isaiah, which on one level refers to the, the holy calling that God meant for Israel to walk in. But now the Lord is saying, he's saying, Israel, though you have failed miserably at this job of attracting the nations to enter into a covenant with me, though you failed miserably at sharing the light that you have been given, there will come a time when Yahweh will shine. He's going to bring your light to you. In fact, the glory of God is going to hover over you, and it'll be like a beacon of light in the sky. Amen? And, and, then, and then the nations will be attracted to you, and the kings will be attracted. This, this plan, this promise, God says, that I made to Abraham is going to be fulfilled. God doesn't give up on the world. It is going to be fulfilled. Which leads us to the second application of the prophecy, which we find in Jesus Christ. Along comes Jesus, right? No more tomato soup. We are ready for the second course of this dinner. In the, in the New Testament, Jesus is portrayed as embodying all of Israel in the flesh. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, passages where it talks about Jesus as the true Israel. He's Israel in the flesh. He's called the true Israelite. Jesus fulfills everything that was promised to Israel. He fulfills the vocation, that calling that Israel was called to. And so we find in one place, the Apostle Paul, uh, he's talking to the church in Galatia, and he, he interprets Genesis 12 in an interesting way. He says this, in uh, Galatians 3.16, he says the promises, these are the same promises we just looked at in Genesis 12. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Now, this is a very interesting thing that Paul, we could get into kind of exegetically what Paul is doing here. He's, he's doing some exegetical gymnastics here. He'd, he'd probably get thrown out of a seminary today for, for coming up with the interpretation that he, get, he does here. But it's, it's, it's fascinating. He has some prophetic insight into this. He says the promise here wasn't to Abraham and, and to all his descendants, but to Abraham and one descendant, the, the seed, Jesus Christ. Later, Paul says uh, in, in one point, He's talking to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 1, he says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So all those promises in the Old Testament, they are yes in Christ. 
And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The amen, that means the so be it. It is finished. Somebody said that once, right? It is finished. Those promises. So Paul seems to say that all the promises in the Old Testament, they're fulfilled in Christ. Jesus is the Israel that God is saying yes to. So Jesus is the one putting on display the glory of God and attracting the nations. Where Israel failed, Jesus will not fail, right? He's, he's perfect, he's beautiful. There's a, a beautiful passage, it's an interesting passage, where uh, Simeon, he's a, a fascinating elderly guy in Israel, in the New Testament. And he, he was this, this old man who had prayed that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah come in the flesh, Israel had been praying for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah. And Simeon prayed, Lord, don't let me die till I see it. And, and uh, in Luke chapter 2, he sees, the, he sees, they bring Jesus as a baby to the temple. And Simeon just bursts out. He says, God, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, God, I can die happy. You can dismiss me in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's a prophetic insight right there. And the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon sees this baby and recognizes that Jesus is the light of Israel. He is the descendant of Abraham who would attract the nations and, and bring salvation to the Gentiles who live in darkness. It's all found in Jesus. All the promises, all of the vocation, it's found in Jesus. So Jesus fulfills Isaiah 60. But then again, does he, in a sense, he doesn't completely fulfill it, does he? Look at the, prof the prophecy again. At the very end, it says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So we have here a glimpse of why we call this the already and not yet kingdom. He's the already but there's also a not yet aspect. If Jesus completely fulfills this, it means all the promises are fulfilled in him. And, and yet, why is there still darkness on the earth? I don't know if you've watched the news in the past 10 years. There's still some darkness in the earth, isn't there? Why are people still drowning in a thick cloud of lies? Why aren't all the nations coming to Christ? Why are they not seeing his beauty and rejecting all the false religions and rejecting violence and laying down their arms and all their selfishness and their greed. Why isn't that happening? There, there's a sense in which this is still not fulfilled. And that brings us to the third application of this prophecy. And it has to do with you and it has to do with me. How you and I fit into this Isaiah 60 prophecy is this. The church is called to fulfill Isaiah 60, chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. We are called. In the same sense that ancient Israel was called, and in the same sense that Jesus actually fulfills Isaiah 60, we are called to step into this calling. Now, how do we know this? What gives us the right here? Here's the cool part. Scripture tells us that when you put your faith in Christ... You are united with Christ. You are united with Christ. You are actually in Christ. That, that phrase is found dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament. You 
are in Christ. Right? You're not just allowed to exist by Christ. You're in him. Right? The Trinity is, is this beautiful dance, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you get to enter that dance. You are in Christ. It's, it's a mind-blowing thing. We're in Christ, united with Christ. And so everything that's true of, of, of Jesus Christ gets applied to us. That's why we're declared righteous. We're declared holy and blameless and all that stuff, right? Even though you and I both know good and well that thing you did last week, right? That thing I did, yeah, I, yeah, I know. I, we didn't measure up, did we? And yet we are still called righteous and holy and blameless. Why? Because we are in Christ. We are, that's, it's a beautiful thing, right? So what's true of him is also true of us. In fact, it says that God loves you and me. He loves us with the same love that he has for Christ. Because we're in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, you remember, he, he said that Jesus is the true Israel. The fulfillment of all God's hopes and dreams for Israel. And we're united with him. Which means that we are, in a spiritual sense, the true descendants of Abraham. We are the fulfillment of all God's dreams for Israel. That's why Paul says in Romans 4, he says that, uh, that Abraham is the father of all who believe. He says that believers are his descendants who believe on the Christ. We're, follower, we're, we're the descendants of Abraham. In other words, you don't have to be biologically genetically Jewish, to be a true spiritual descendant of Abraham. This is exciting stuff. In Romans 11, he says, you Gentiles, when you believe, you get grafted into the people of God. Grafted into the people of God. You're grafted into the true Israel, he says. You're made spiritual Jews. That's what Paul calls us. Over in Galatians 6, Paul calls the church the Israel of God. It's the the phrase. I'm not making this up. He says, as a result of your faith and as a result of your union with Christ, you are the Israel of God. And so what that means, what that means is this. If Jesus is the true Israel, he's the one glorifying God before the nations, then we are Israel glorifying God before the nations. If Jesus is the light that shines and he pierces the darkness, then we are called to be the true Israel that has this light of Christ shining through us, piercing the darkness to deliver the nations of the world. All the nations, all the people around us who who walk in darkness. We, the church, are the nation called to a holy vocation. The church. We are the nation called to a holy vocation. It's not... Canada is not the United States, Mexico, England, or France. It's not a political entity. It's the church. We are called to a holy calling. And like ancient Israel, we're in Christ. We, we, we who are in Christ, we have blessings. There are blessings. And we have many of them, but we also have a vocation. We're heirs of that same promise given to Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago. When, when God first started to deliver humanity. He started this plan. And we are the most recent generation of something that goes all the way back to Genesis 12. All the way back there. And the call, that calling is at the core of our, of our purpose. So this, this is where it gets really exciting. This is why Jesus 
who we call the light of the world. That's the name of this series. You know, we're celebrating the light of the world. That's why Jesus says this in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. Whoa, 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 Jesus, you're the light of the world, right? I mean, I I thought you were the light of the world, but you're saying we are the light of the world? He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. That's what a candle is for. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. That they may see your good deeds and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. Whose good deeds do they see? Who do they glorify? Right? So we, the church, we've received the light, but the light's not just for us, is it? No, 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 no. We don't just get to wallow in the light. It's good to be in the light. The purpose of being blessed is to be a blessing to others. This is just, this is the formula throughout the Bible. This is it. So Jesus says here, he makes the comparison to a city. He said, if, if you've got a city that's all lit up, you don't put it in a valley. You put it up on a hill. Why? Because that city is a beacon of light to weary wanderers. It's a beacon of light. And if you have a candle, you don't put it under a bowl. It's not going to do any good there. It defeats the purpose. By the way, if you put fire under a bowl, what else happens? It goes out, right? It goes out. The light. So what, what is the light that we're talking about? The light is the glory of God. The glory of God. You see... God is only glorified when people see the glory, right? Now, God is God. He's awesome whether we're here or not. But he's only glorified if, if somebody sees the glory. We, we, you know, think back to our little holy astronomy lesson a couple weeks ago. There are facets of the universe that we are only just now realizing because we got these good telescopes now. All, all these things, right, that we, we didn't even know the half of it, a fraction of God's universe. We didn't know it. We couldn't be amazed by it. Because we couldn't see it. We didn't know it was there. It has to be witnessed. And we are called to proclaim. We're called to shine the glory of God because it's got to be seen. The glory of God has got to be seen. If we're just praising in private, it's like a tree falling in the forest and nobody hears it. Did it make a sound? There was no ears. It didn't impress anybody, right? You could be playing the most magnificent concerto, but if you're doing it in your room, it's not blessing the world, right? So God is glorified when people actually see his character that's being put on display. Never forget the, the purpose of light is to dispel darkness. That means that light has to come in contact with darkness. We can't keep it to ourselves. And if we want people to see and enjoy the miracle of what, what Jesus fulfilled in Isaiah 60, then we got to step into our role and shine that light. We pick up the torch, right? We pick up the torch. We're the generation. We're the next generation. Right now, everybody in this room, Generations Church, we're the one entrusted with shining this light to the world. It's why we exist. It's our purpose. We, you know, we say we, we come to church to help each other become more like Jesus. We want to become more like Jesus, right? But, but why? So our life can be better, no, so, so we can help save the world. That's why we want to become more like Jesus, because he's called to be the light. We want to be like that. We want to step in. See, you are in Christ. 
So act like it. <laughs> right? You're in Christ. The thing is, if we're honest with ourselves, the, what we often the, fall into the same trap as the ancient Israelites. And what was that trap? We, we, we put our light under a bowl. We like the light. We keep it quiet. It's our light. And our religion kind of evolves into this sort of private me and Jesus type of thing. Me and Jesus feels good. I love me and Jesus. Ooh, and it's all about me and Jesus. And the light we're entrusted with is wasted. Nobody's seeing it, right? Or we, we can build a, a community of light, and we call them churches. And we're really proud of this community, this city that we built. And we put it in a valley instead of the hill. You know, Christians, when we just hang out with other Christians all the time, we keep to our, our own comfortable echo chambers. Because let's face it, 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 who doesn't like hanging out with people who are like you, Right? We avoid those uncomfortable encounters with folks in the darkness. Who doesn't like being people who, who think like you and share your beliefs and share your, your interests and your politics and your lifestyle and who listen to your music and dress like you, right? Who, who doesn't like that? And, and, if all, and if we have this light, it's not going anywhere and no one can see it, so it's not serving the purpose of dispelling the darkness, Or, or, or even worse, we can fall into the, the trap of the Israelites, ancient Israelites. We can begin to define ourselves as this private, privileged, holy club aligned against those pagans out there. They're the enemy. Instead of shining God's light of love for the purpose of delivering them from the darkness, Christians can see themselves as defenders of the light, protectors of the light. Protect the light. The Bible never says just defend the light. Never says protect the light. No, we don't protect it from those walking in darkness. This was the sin of ancient Israel. Looking down on, judging, even oppressing the very people we're called to, to serve and attract. So what I want to challenge us with this morning, friends, is this. Let's not fall into the same trap as the ancient Israelites. See, you've got so much light. You've got more light than they ever dreamed of, right? You've got, you, you, you are united with Christ. You are united with the one who is the light of the world. We, we've got the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. That light should just be beaming out our fingertips, right? We've got, we've got the light inside. So step into your destiny. Step into your calling. Get out of the valley. Live on the hilltop. Take the, take, throw aside the bowl. Let the light shine. Let the candle burn and, and light up the whole room, wherever you go. Now, here's going to be your biggest challenge. This sounds really great, and we're, we're going to be all pumped up here for a little bit. Here's your biggest challenge. Not walking out these doors and falling into the typical, busy, self-absorbed mindset of this world. I've got issues. I got things to do. I got stuff I got to achieve. I got this, I got that. I've got me and my loved ones to think about. And, and we just sort of orbit our own little planet. And we're not reflecting light. It's all about us. So what is it to live as a faithful Israelite and, and heir to the promise, united with Christ? What it is, is to know that you have a vocation 
that goes beyond yourself. It's not just about you. God loves you, but it's not just about you, right? I know he loves me, and, and I would love to just stay there in that spot. Let's just keep talking about how much you love me, God. But it's not just about that. To remember, you're here on assignment. It's your greatest honor, it's your greatest privilege, and it is your greatest responsibility that you are in Christ. There's blessings and privileges that come with that, and there is a vocation, a holy vocation that comes with that. So it means that, what does that mean? It means we've got to have other people on our radar screen, right? We talked last week about the father. You know, the prodigal son comes home. We talked about the father. A better title for that story might be the prodigal father because he, he, was, he was lavish in his love and his mercy. He was almost wasteful in it, right? He, he was too, too good. That father was too much. That's what got the older son angry. Father, you're doing too much. That, that prodigal father, to, he watched out the window. He had other people on his radar screen. He's looking for who is missing so he can go bring them home. And when there's one son missing from the party, he goes and makes sure he's, he's you know, he, can, he comes back. And so for us, it's not about being awkward or, or, or weird or pushy with people. We don't have to be weird. It's just a matter of being who you really are in relationship with others. Walking in relationship with other people, being who you are, and start to pray for them. Start to pray for your neighbors and your family members, knowing, knowing that God's already at work in them. He's doing his part, but you pray for them. And then look for opportunities to shine light and share words. Shine light and share words. Invite them into that covenant that you have with Jesus Christ. And it doesn't take an expert. It doesn't take, you know, someone who's got a seminary education. I, I don't got one. Amen. Right? I ain't got one. <laughs> See? All it takes is someone who, who, with a voice that is willing to bear witness to the truth in Jesus that you've discovered. Just bear witness to it. That's all it takes, right? Don't believe the lie either that it's only the paid professional holy man whose job up on the stage is to, to tell the good news and make disciples. Disciples make disciples. That's why we say everyone makes disciples. So, Christmas, it turns out, is the perfect time to recommit to this calling that we have. Christmas is amazing. There is a, a peculiar reality in our culture, and you know it and I know it, that when it comes to Christmas and Easter in America, uh, and it may not always be this way, but it's, it still seems to be true for the most part, even people who have no faith in anything, or they go all year without even thinking about God, they will go to church on Christmas and Easter if you invite them, won't they? Right? I, I, I've known atheists. They're like, I don't know. Nope, there is no God. But it's Christmas. And they're like, everybody get dressed. We're going to church. It's Christmas. Right? <laughs> this is what you do. It's, every year, it's like a Christmas miracle. We see them come through the door. We open our doors to people who otherwise have no thought of God or, or much less church. But they'll come. They'll come at Christmas. So this is a great opportunity for us. I'm just giving you an extra week 
uh, uh, heads up here. It's a great opportunity to invite your friends, invite your neighbors to our, our candlelight service on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Eve night. Every year, we have a, a, a beautiful time together, and, and the place is full, so I'm not trying to, like, we need to fill, you know, we need more people. I, I, I have a specific purpose in my heart. I'm really burdened by this this year. Um, this year, I, I'm intentionally gearing the Christmas Eve message, which is always short, you know, on Christmas Eve. We, we do it short. But we're in gearing it intentionally towards those who are not yet committed followers of Jesus. I want to see miracles this Christmas. I want to see miracles. I'm believing for miracles. Will you be praying with me between now and then for miracles? I want to see the light of Christ find its way into brand new hearts. And I believe that can happen on Christmas Eve, right? So you got to invite them. We, we serve a Savior who is so beautiful. He came across the universe, and he humbled himself, shrunk himself down into a baby born in the dust in a manger in a lonely little planet in the corner of the Milky Way, just one of the trillions of galaxies that he created. He did this because he loves people that much. Amen? So we can bear witness. Let's be faithful to the calling that he's given us. Be light to the world in word and in deed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.